Welcome, everybody, out there to Divorce Recovery Men Over 40 podcast. I've got Paul Zolman out of Utah. I'm going to speak to uh, the role of love. Um, so he's going to tell us a little bit about his history and how he came to that, and then we'll have some questions for him. So, Paul, take it away. Thank you, David. Pleasure to be on your show with you today. Actually, I wanted to start with kind of a generational thing because I think that there's a lot of people out there that have generational things that are not genetic, but generational things that are passed down. We learn what we learn from our parents and we really kind of don't know what we don't know. So whatever our parents taught us, we have to either get more education to learn it or, or we were just passing it on, whatever that generational thing was passed on. Had a grandfather that had nine children in Indiana back the turn of the century um, in 1800 to 1900 and the early 1900s. And he had nine children in Indiana with his first wife. She passed away shortly after that ninth child. I don't know if it was complications regarding that childbirth or not, but he was very distraught. And today we know that we should not make major decisions when you're in a crisis situation like that. He didn't know that at the time. So he decided he was going to sell the farm, sell all the equipment. And in addition to that, when people came to pick up the equipment, he would say something like this. And I heard this from one of the one of the children of, of that first marriage. He, he said, and would you like this child? And would you like this child? And would you like this child? <laughs> And systematically, wow. systematically gave away all those children, David, except for one. He took Benjamin with him to Montana, found a, uh, found a, a person that was a school teacher that had never been married, had 10 more children with that school teacher, of which my father is number six. So total of 19 children all, all together. And so my father was born in 1922. This grandfather actually died when he was 10 years old. So 1932, we're in the middle of an economic depression, mm-hmm. worldwide economic depression. So now you not only have abandonment of all these kids, but now you have financial problems bigger than you would ever expect in that circumstance. So a lot of compounding circumstantial effects that were were happening at the time. My father didn't grow up very happy. And it's just he at 10 years old, he did, now he's not got a father around. He goes to school a few more years and then just graduates from eighth grade. That's it. He's done. And he decides he's going to go to work. He decides to learn the mechanic trade, becomes a diesel mechanic, and then graduated from that to become a truck driver. That's what I knew him as as I was growing up. And I'm number 10 of 11 children. So my father became a mechanic. And then after he quit school in eighth grade, and then he actually became a truck driver, and that's what, how I knew him when I was growing up. As a truck driver, he was gone through the week, and then he'd come home on Friday. He dated my mother every Friday night. David, that's a, a, something I've never been able to duplicate. I don't know how he did it. How does he find find a way to push away all of those distractions and actually have a date with my mother every Friday night? It wasn't very creative about it. It was always the Maverick Bar, and it was always over alcohol. So I can imagine I was never there, but I can imagine my mother saying, well, you know, how was your week? How was your week? And and then just starting at the oldest child and, and getting down to me at number 10 and then my sister, number 11. Okay. We really kind of got the, got the crappy end of the stick because what would happen is that 
I could see in my mind's eye my father being annoyed, 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 annoyed at all the things my older siblings did. And they were just stacking up until the, there was one straw that broke the camel's back. And I felt like that was at number 10. When he got to number 10, or when my uh, mother got to number 10, that that was whatever she said about me. I was kind of sandwiched between two girls. I had an older sister and a younger sister. All the rest were boys. Boys will be boys. They're like puppies. They, they roll around. They wrestle. They swat each other. They do all this. And they accidentally break arms or, or do something stupid like that. And that would be annoying to my father. He'd have this flash of anger, and it would come out on me. I'd either get the belt or a severe spanking or or a tongue lashing or just whatever it was. There were lots of things of anger, lots of abuse. The, it was an angry childhood. Well, I was just trying to be obedient and obey the rules with that, David, and um, I just tried so hard that when I took a test at age 17 for what occupation would be good for me, came out that I would be a really good IRS agent. Because I was trying, oh, wow. yeah, yeah, no, I, I didn't like it either. I thought, I'm not going to do that. I mean, I'm not going to help other people obey the rules so they can stay out of trouble. I, I just did not want to do that. But eventually, actually, I became an accountant, which is okay. very, 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 very similar. Lots of rules in that, but you just keep the rules and you keep out of hot water. And I, I eventually became a CFO of a public company. So finance and, and accounting is my background that way. But I found that I had a lot of residual anger left over from that childhood. Things that I would have that same stacking effect. My brothers had it, I had it, but it was more of that generational thing that possibly came from my grandfather or even earlier than that. Don't know exactly where it came from, but we'd stack these annoyances on top of each other, have that flash of anger go back down and then start stacking it up again. Cyclic in in that regard that it would just happen over and over again. You know, mm-hmm. it happened, happened often enough that you know it was it happened in public, it happened in private, and it happened often enough that it uh, probably was very contributory to the demise of my first marriage, among other things. But after twenty three and a half years, and actually, David, I only had eight children. My grandfather nineteen. Wow, you were, you were slacking. I was restraining myself. In fact, in fact, my my wife and I, uh, when we first were dating, said we kind of decided on about six. But I thought, David, I'm going to be an overachiever. I'm going for eight, and so you know, just ended up with eight. So 19 to 11 to eight, my children, David, are only having three grandchildren. I don't know. I want you have children, so you have grandchildren. I want more grandchildren. That's and it's not happening. I don't know how to make that happen. And it's just kind of the things that I that I learned that I really have no control over love coming my way. I have no control over how many children my my children are going to have. I have no control over that other person. And when I realized that I grew up in a culture that didn't have boundaries, I realized I missed this particular boundary. I can't bid love to come my way. I can't tell other people what to do, and I can't really manage their life for them. So why was I getting annoyed when I realized I don't have to manage their life? It was such a huge relief. I'm going to go, ah, oh, that's perfect. I don't want to manage their life. And it's it's annoying to watch what they're doing when they should be doing something else anyway. And I was thinking, just like the angry culture, I was thinking, well, I know better than you, so I'm going to tell you what to do. 
I realized that I had to draw that boundary that said I can ask them if they'd like a suggestion or if they'd like advice. Mm -hmm. If they say no, I can't give it to them. Or if they ask me for advice, then I can give it to them. And I realized I did not have that boundary growing up, that there were no boundaries. So I realized that needed to be hard and fast. Well, as it relates to love, what can I do then? I can send it out, and then I can respond to it when it comes my way. Unlike Dr. Chapman's book, The Five Love Languages, he said that you find out what your significant other's love language is, and you cater to that. I'm I'm a bad guesser, David. If I get if I guessed what your love language is and cater to that, <laughs> we're going to be buddies. But it's not working for me, and it didn't work up in, up until that time. So that didn't work for me. And then as I read through the five love languages, and you know, I realized that he's got a survey. You take that survey and you find out yep. what your love language is. What's David, yours? What's yours? Well, what am I supposed to do with that, David? Am I supposed to advertise? <laughs> Hello, hello, David. I'm Gifts. What do you have for me today? Oh, I'm going to start. I'm going to make a little badge that I can put on my shirt here, David, that has my little Venmo QR code. Well, that's kind of interesting because my wife and I are both acts of service and and, and it jives because we're both acts of service. That works. That, yeah. you, you married we got lucky. Well. We yeah, got you, lucky. You married well. So, yeah. so what I had to do was I, I really need to, didn't know the love languages until I read that book. But even after reading the book four or five times, I, I went through the book, but the book didn't go through me. It wasn't part of me. And I thought, how am I really going to learn this so that I can apply it? Coming from that background, from where I came from. And I thought, well, you know, one thing that helped um, as one thing that I really liked as a child was we would play games. Even as dysfunctional as our family was growing up, games brought us together. There was still all the smack talk. There were still all the put-downs, aggressive competition, but but we were together as family. And I thought, what if I could make this a game? So I contacted Dr. Chapman and asked, are you licensing those little pictures that you have or the little icons that you have for each one of the love languages? And his attorney wrote back and said, no, we're not doing that at this time. So in my neighborhood, I had a, a friend that was a copyright attorney, an intellectual property attorney, and I asked him the same question. I said, that I told him my idea. He said, he said this. He said, theory, like the love language theory, is not copyrightable. Application is. So they did not have they did not have it as a game. So I thought, well, I can make it a game. I'll make my own icons since they're not going to let me borrow theirs. I'll make my own. And then I'll make it into a game. So that's exactly what I did. So I created a die, a cube that has each one of the love languages on it. Right now, I'm for your listeners that are not viewing this, I can I'll describe it. It's a hand holding a hourglass that would represent time, just spending good time, quality time with some someone. So, uh, my wife likes this uh, just to sit with me, but. She doesn't like to watch Hallmark movies, especially at this, this time of year. She does not like that. But she likes Korean dramas. So I'll need to sit with her to watch Korean dramas. We don't have to say anything. She just wants wants the time spent. So that's kind of what that is. Now I've got uh, looks like a server that has a platter. That would be represent service. So there, these are all pictures. So no words on it. That would re just represent service. The next one is two hands put together to create a heart. From that heart, there's actually a conversation flat, like a cartoon, 
like somebody would be speaking. So the heart is speaking. Those would be the words from the heart. Those would be a service. I mean, uh, words of affirmation. Absolutely. So those are the words we're talking about. It's just the compliments. It's the it's the saying I love you. It's just the the loving words that we're talking about. The next one is two hands touching it, looking like they're holding hands. That would be touch. And then the last last love language would be a, a hand holding a gift. That would be gifts. Five love languages, six sides on the cube. So I created this last side, which is a hand holding a, a question mark. And that uh, this represents surprise me. So, David, there's just two instructions. You roll the cube every day. Whatever it lands on, that's the love language practice giving away all day that day. All day. So both people, both people, or you each roll. It, it, it's either or. You can okay. you can do you can do it as a couple and say this is what we're practicing as a couple today, or you can say, you know, roll your own and just have them do it on their own. And um, the way my wife and I operate is that I roll the die. She tries to guess on that day what I'm doing. And she'll she'll do her own thing, but she guess tries to guess what I'm doing on that day. It's kind of interesting the people that are guessing. I had I went to church just this last Sunday and had my arm around my wife as we're sit, sitting in the service. And and when we're done, I'm starting to walk out. And this friend of mine that knows that I've written a book and have the die, he says, "I think I know what you rolled for your love language today." And and um, and he said, "I saw you putting your arm around your wife," and I said. I put my arms out like this, just like I'm ready to hug him. Say, come on, Bo, bring it in. And just gave him a big, big bear hug. And he's laughing uncontrollably just because I I'd, I'd identified or he had identified what mm-hmm. love language I was doing that day and apparently wanted to hug. And I just detected that, that that was a, a way that he wanted to feel love that, that particular day. So it really is something that you can do every single day. It takes two seconds to roll the die. It sets the tone or the theme for that day. And so so this has been really helpful for me to roll every day. Every day provides a little variety. Every day is going to be a little bit different. But over a 30-day period, what I found, David, is that you practice all five love languages to give it away without any regard of it ever coming back, but trusting the laws of the universe, that the laws of harvest, the law of karma, the law of attraction, that says that what you send out is going to come back to you someday. Just trust that it's going to happen. By learning all five love languages, it actually improves your communication skills with any significant other or anybody that you're able to say, oh, they're loving on me. It may not be my primary love language, but you can respond to that. It gives you that peripheral vision that you may not have had before. Dr. Chapman identifies that each one of us have a primary love language, what we like. One way we like to be loved, but and and most people will give that away in hopes for reciprocity. I don't look to that as love. I see that as a transaction. You're giving something away in hopes that you'll get something back. That's transactional. It's not love. Send it out without any regard of it ever coming back, and then watch, be able to re- recognize it when it does come back. That's more love. So, what is your transition transactional love language? <laughs> <laughs> what do I like to get back? Yeah, you know, you know, give it to me. Come on, give it to uh, me, Paul. Uh, that, that's funny, David. You know, there I, I presented this in a in a networking group, and there was an attorney there that 
that looked at the die, he looked at all of them, and he said, he says, I want a die that has this icon on each one of them. So he wanted physical touch on all six ties. He wanted to give it away, and he wanted to receive it back. And because I grew up in this environment of anger, if I wasn't feeling whacked, I wasn't feeling love. So early on, when I took the test, obviously it was physical touch. But now as I rolled the die and actually practiced, learned and practiced giving away all these love languages, words are really kind of top the list more than any physical touch. Physical touch is maybe number two or number three on the list. Now is it? Like I said, you know, I'm a uh, active service guy, but I find that uh, talking with people with about love languages, that their primary love language is something that they had missed in their life as they grew up, or in relationships. So it's always something. Most of the times, it's something that they missed or they needed, something like that. Because my ex wasn't really. And active service person, she didn't do a whole lot in the household, so I missed that. So that became my primary love language. Interesting, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's very interesting. And I think that if if you had a situation like that, David, or if any of your listeners had a situation like that, this will fill that gap because what what you're doing is you're learning all the love languages. You actually become that love language linguist that I talk talk about by learning them backwards and forwards. It gives you that that um, the opportunity to just respond appropriately when it comes your way, and that's one of those things that you have control over is responding when it comes your way. I know in my lifetime that I have missed a lot of people that were loving on me. It wasn't mm-hmm. my primary love language, but I were loving on me, and I missed it as love. I may have said, "Well, that's nice," but it's not. Yeah, I don't feel loved. Yeah. Don't feel that that uh, warm fuzzies inside as as you're sending that over to me because it was to the side. Now the difference is that I can see it. I can respond appropriately to that. I've got a lot of catching up to do for all the anger that I had in my life. I have a whole lot of catching up of sending love out and then responding to people that were loving on me all along. I just didn't see it. So what is your, your uh, conversation with people a uh, man over 40 going through divorce, how do you apply that to them when, when they're trying to heal or they're trying to forgive or they're trying to go through despair and things like that? What's your what's your answer to that? Great question, David. And actually, I was that person myself. I was about, I think I was 42 when I uh, separated and then about 45 when I first got divorced. After 23 and a half years of marriage, eight children, I became the primary custodian for these remaining five children. And then when on the week weekends off, uh, when she had the children, I would do what I call midlife crisis destination dating. I'd find mm-hmm. a woman, woman online that was in a different city. We'd choose a city, meet, have, have a date. Wow. <laughs> we would meet, have a, have a date, and then we'd go back home. So I did this for for a, a, a year and a half. I did it. I went to had a great time, David. It was oh fun. yeah, man. You yeah. saw some great places. Uh, oh yeah, I went to Daytona Beach and Jacksonville, Florida, and uh, Atlanta, Georgia, Columbia, South Carolina, Charlotte, North Carolina, New York City, Kansas City, Salt Lake City. Uh, wow. Yeah, Phoenix, Las Vegas, Cabo San Lucas, Nashville, 
all those places I went and, and a lot more doing a destination date. And I thought I had a, a pretty good relationship going with a, a lady from Phoenix. So I decided I was going to move to Phoenix. Kind of went south from there, just didn't, didn't materialize. And then that was three and a half years after our, our divorce. My ex-wife decides she wants the primary custody of the three remaining children in the family. I'm number 10 of 11, as I've mentioned, and and I didn't know my grandfathers at all. They died before I was born. Mm-hmm. But I had one grandmother that was 350 miles east, and another grand, the other grandmother was 350 miles west of me. So we didn't visit very often. And in that situation, I didn't, really didn't get to know them. My wife, ex-wife's plan was to move in with her parents in California and to and take the kids with her. I thought, this is a great opportunity for those last remaining three children to get to know their grandparents because we'd lived away from them most of mm-hmm. most of their life already. And I thought, I'm going to go ahead and relinquish primary custody back to my ex-wife. So I did, and I'm all alone. In that situation, my older sister calls and says, I got a neighbor that I want to introduce to you. And so that at that point in time, I said, you know what? You're seven hours away. I've done all this destination data and travel all over the place. I feel like that song. I was looking for love in all the wrong places. I don't want to go seven hours anymore. And she's an older sister, and you have to do what your older siblings sister say. Says. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, she says, Oh, come on. And I said, All right, I'll email her. What kind of relationship can you develop with the email? And I thought, I'm it's not gonna amount to nothing, but this lady was a really good writer. And so we had some fun exchanges. And after about four or five, I get brave and I ask her, well, how many times have you been married? And that's kind of a bold question to ask someone that you don't even, never met, never talked to, except through email. And she writes back and she says, counting the five that are buried in the backyard? <laughs> and, and I realized I've got a live wire here. I've got oh, some yeah. that's got some, oh, pers- yeah. She's, yeah. some personality. She's some yeah, yeah she, she's got she's got a sense of humor. I thought I want to pursue this a little bit more. So we got a little closer, started calling and visiting, and I ended up moving up to where my sister was, and we became serious. So I take her in uh, up for Big Brother approval, 300 miles north from where I'm at. Take her over there and. My first thing that happened, my sister-in-law pulls her aside and said, the only emotion that the Zolman family learned growing up is anger. At first, I denied. I said, uh-uh. And it made me mad. <laughs> there it is. Pow. Yeah. Pow. <laughs> I, I, I verified exactly what she said. Oh, heck and, yeah. yeah and, and I realized, David, at that point in time, I had an opportunity to change that. That I can just change that perception of the Zolman family here and now. So I started reading the color code in the five love languages, and that's kind of how I got to the point mm-hmm. of de- developing the cube. So my advice to people that are in that age 40, 45 situation, and what they can do is improve yourself. Take the time and, and go back to the to the Bible if you need to. I did, and I'm a Christian, and that, so I, I looked to the Bible for some advice. Probably the best advice I got was going to the Last Supper, where Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me. And all the disciples there say, Lord, is it I? Lord, is it I? Lord, is it I? Just that forward question, Lord, is it I? Asking myself, Lord, is it I in this relationship? Mm-hmm. Is, is it me that's causing the distance in this relationship? 
is something that helped me try to improve every single day. Lord is it I. I feel a little bit of distance right now between this person that I'm trying to get close with. Is it me? And most of the time the answer is yes. Dummy, get over it and and just start start moving forward with it and just try to figure out a way to express love a little bit more. And so, you know, obviously he didn't say dummy. I never heard that. He won't ever say negative things. Mm-hmm. And so it, I just felt that impressed that I needed to improve myself. If I wanted to have a lasting relationship, especially from where I came from, if I wanted to have a lasting relationship, I need to learn more the love language not and not stay in that angry culture. That angry culture has its own vocabulary, has its own sense of humor. I can't practice that and expect to have people drawn to me. I need to move to the love languages. What the angry language does is repel people. It's like that person, David, in the swimming pool that has an accident. And everybody scatters. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. And it's, I did not want that type of being isolated again and set alone. So I, I wanted to be more loving and draw people to me. And so that's what I realized. And what people of that age 40 group should do is realize I can improve, take the humble approach that I can. there is something that I can improve on. Try to improve just one percent a day. Try to practice maybe a different love language. Uh, sending so baby steps. Baby steps, absolutely, and this is exactly baby steps. Baby doesn't come out walking or running. They have to be nourished, and then they start rocking on their their front, um, rocking on their elbows, maybe and their knees, and then their their hands, and then their knees, and then they pull up to the couch and they scoot along the couch and then they start walking and then they start running and it just takes steps. You're not an Olympian overnight because you can just run a mile. You've got to, you got, you got to work at it and you've got to strengthen those muscles, those loving muscles. This is a, this is one thing that is daily, but it's the kind of investment everybody loves to make. You put in a tiny bit, you get a whole lot back. Everybody wants to make an investment like that. Invest the two seconds, roll the die, set the tone for the day. No longer is your day willy-nilly. Now it's purposeful. Now it's got that theme. You're determined to love all day long. Send it out. So I love the uh, the reference to Caddyshack, by the way. Um, <laughs> the accident in the pool. Uh, oh. so what about loving yourself? <laughs> you know, we haven't talked about loving yourself. You know, working on yourself, loving yourself, that's so important. Because I, I think it's hard to love others without loving yourself first. That's That seems to be a, a very common thread out there. Yeah, I have a, a, some issues with that, and I'm really kind of trying to reconcile that in my own mind. What I found, uh, David, was that if I have this little pity party in myself and I'm sitting in my house waiting for love to come my way, I'm going to be there for a long time. I realized that I have to actually give it away and and just follow the sequence with me because Jesus said, love thy neighbor first as thyself, as this, as if you, this is how you want to be loved. But it, first, notice the sequence. It's sending it out to your neighbor first. And what I've found is that while I'm rolling the die, when people light up and I make their day, I've lifted them up a little bit. 
and, and by lifting them up, there's huge and great satisfaction there. You feel loved. You feel like you, you're, that satisfaction, that same satisfaction that you'll feel uh, from being loved comes from loving others. And I think that that is a better way to fill your tank of love so that you'll feel that love for yourself as well. It's by giving it away. I love the quote. Interesting. Yeah. I, I, I think that that it, self-love often gets confused with self-indulgence. And I'm not a, not a fan of that. I mean, you can, um, it's, that is really not love. That's, that's really something temporary. And it's not going to help you in the long, long run. Sending this out and watching people light up and helping them have a better day is going to help you so much in the long run. Number one, they're going to remember it the rest of their life. Most likely it's something that significant that you made their day and you lifted them up. They're going to go around their circle of influence and possibly lift someone else up too. Now you've sent it out. Now you've propagated that. Contrast that with sending anger out. You make somebody stay miserable. Now they're going to pass that on, make other people stay miserable, and that's going to be propagated. We don't want to be doing that. We've been doing that for a lot. lot. The media does that. And And they're still doing it. The media is advertising when people do that. It's a very minor part of our society, but they're making it 90% of our society by advertising it. Maybe 10% of that new news broadcast is good. That's what my problem was. I was focusing on the 10 or 20% of that person that had weaknesses or their faults or their misgivings. I was focusing on that and being annoyed at that and then stacking those annoyances and being angry. I've turned 180 degrees, David. Now I focus on what's right about that person, that 80 to 90% that's right about that person. I am so busy focusing on that. I have zero time to be annoyed. I don't get annoyed anymore because I'm focused on what's right about that person. What can I love about that person instead of what's wrong? So how do you differentiate between self-love and self-care? Self-care absolutely needs to be done. You've got to have obviously pretty good hygiene if you want to get close to anyone. <laughs> wow. Go low. I like that. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, you got to care. You got to take care of yourself. You know, I, I've dealt with several homeless people, and and man, you know, there's there's a reason why they're they're uh, yeah. And, and I'm, I I don't mean to to diss on that. That they, they have a lot of them have problems. A lot of them are just in hard luck. And you can those people that are in hard luck, you can actually help them out of that. But I've I've really kind of focused on homeless people um, throughout my life and watched them and try to help them in significant Mm -hmm. and meaningful ways, not just give them the quarter and be on your way, give them the dollar, give them the five dollars and be on your way. Whatever it is, just do something meaningful for them. Ask them, talk about them. What do they want to do? And just get an idea of where do they want to be and where they want to be next week, where they want to be in a month. 30 30 days where do they want to be in three months and and just try to help them set goals of how they can get out of that 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 rut that they're in right now and and get to that um that point self-care is really important hygiene is so so important and that uh, just taking care of yourself in that way is is something i call common sense and mm-hmm. and it just don't lose that common sense that that you really need to kind of be presentable 
for for your audience, for whoever it is, whether it's your employer, whether it's your family, whether whoever it is, you need to be presentable and keep yourself up in that way. And that's that self-care. You can call that self-love. I, I would I would appropriately call that self-love as well. But that that care is absolutely essential for essential. Yeah, yeah you got to keep up with it. And we haven't talked about the kids yet. So you roll the dice, you practice that love language or that side of the dice, and that involves the kids also, correct? Absolutely. I tested this with a family, David, a family of five children, the youngest of four. And so he's got these older siblings. He's, and one day he rolls it and he, he rolls physical touch and he's jumping up and down and pumping his fists and say, yes, physical touch, physical touch immediately goes and meets up on his brothers. <laughs> well, there you go. He was waiting for that opportunity, oh, yeah. and, and that's what he Boom. thought it was. Obvi- obviously, that's what his brothers and how his brothers expressed love to him, and that's what oh, he yeah. thought love was. So I had that same twisted feeling when I was growing up that that's what love was too. But it was a perfect opportunity. The mother's trying to suppress all the laughters. Not, I didn't expect that. I was trying to su- su- uh, suppress all that laughter. But it was a teaching moment. Said, so, "No, son, this would be appropriate physical touch. You can do a high five, a fist bump. You can create a, a, a fancy handshake, maybe seven or ten step handshake. That is how you bind with with your brothers. Or you can just give them a hug. And and all the siblings are there listening. Everybody learns what appropriate physical touch is. So I think that 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 for children they learn very quickly. Four years old, he can't read yet, but he could understand." what the icons were on, on, on the cube. And I'm testing it also in the classroom, David, and I'm, I'm not sure if I had mentioned that, but in the classroom, what happens at the beginning of the day takes two seconds to roll the die or less. For 30 to 45 seconds, the teacher says, class, this is the type of behavior we're looking for today. And then they just let them go. At the end of the day, I've talked with teachers around the world, David, and every teacher without mm. with, without any exception says that the last 10 to 15 minutes of the day is non-productive time. The kids are tired. They're anxious. They know the bell's going to ring. They're just, their minds are mush. They've been trying to learn all these things all day long. There's just nothing left. They're just done. This is a perfect time for decompression. One of the uh, very, very good activity for decompression is to write in a journal. And so I created a journal page that I'll show right here that has what you rolled, opportunities you saw to love in that way, and what you did about those opportunities. So for that that teacher, I I send them a PDF. They can print as many as they'd like, and they give it to each one of the students. The students check off what they rolled, opportunities they saw to love in that way, and what they did about that opportunity that day. Mm -hmm. Now, Now what happens, each child is responsible for their own behavior. No longer, it takes a huge burden off that teacher, a huge burden off the principal to manage the, the wow. behavior of that child. Now, instead of, I was 35 years old before I stopped blaming my father for all this crap that I had to do, all this anger that I had pent up, all these events that I had in public places of having this flash of anger. I stopped blaming him at age 35. Now, the six year old child is understanding oh, I'm responsible for my own behavior. So they write about it, whatever they can at age six. And writings may not be that great. They can draw a picture. Mm. But whatever it is, the, the next day for the really good stories, the teacher can read that in front of the class. 
say, Johnny did this, and this is how he loved, and this is that's what he cool. did that day. Susie did this, and that's what she did. That thought, that kind of encourages other class members to say, I got to step up. If, if I want mine read in front of the class too. I want that kind of attention. And so they'll step up. They have that reporting. Now they're responsible, and they're te- taught responsibility by sending love out. It's kind of a, a, a byproduct, so to speak, of of just the love that they're sending out. It, it's going to tamp down a lot of the uh, the bullying that's going on, a lot of the misbehaving that's going on, because now they're focused right at the start of the day. They're focused on sending out love all day that day, all day to everybody. Wow. They have to re- report about it. Second thing that happens is that the teacher just does check mark. Yep, Johnny did it. Sends that home. The very astute parents are going to save each one of those pages for every day of that school year. I would bind it and and put it in a book. That's your first grade journal. That's your third grade journal. That's your sixth grade journal. Now, 10 years, 20 years down the road, that child looks back and says, that was really cool. I wondered why I loved Mrs. Rogers in my first grade class. I I loved my first grade teacher, but I wish I would have had a journal. Why did I love her? And I think probably because it was a contrast from my home life to that school life, I felt loved there. I felt absolutely loved. I felt important there. I don't remember second, third, fourth, or fifth grade, but I remember my sixth grade. There's got to be some some way to record that and make these children learn the love languages. If they learn all five love languages, this becomes a springboard, a basis for them, David, for, for the rest of their life. And one other thing about that, as I've worked with these love languages, Remember how I was stacking, stacking, stacking to get to anger? Mm-hmm. Now it's stacking kindness on top of kindness, on top of kindness, on top of kindness to get to the higher laws of love. Higher laws okay. meaning meaning compassion or charity or forgiveness or intimacy or mercy or empathy or sympathy. Those are the higher laws of love. These are basic. In primary school that I'm testing this in, K through six right now, this we need to teach these basics of love so that they'll be able to do those kindnesses to get to those higher laws, make the world a better place so that they're not on the news as the next one that's shooting up a school or or being uh, punished for something like that. Wow, Mr. Paul. That was interesting, man. That was way different than I thought when we first started this podcast. Hey, but I I appreciate your time. Um, uh, We will have um, your website at the bottom of my uh, podcast and go from there. But hey, thanks for hanging out with me and being patient with my uh, technical difficulties. God, that was crazy. Yeah, no worries uh, at all. I'm going to get us get a die. One of my friends and I were talking once about the love languages and, and we wanted to make them a little bit more urban and we were going to make something, but we were going to give the extra love language was going to be called pay my bills. So. <laughs> I, I want that one. I'm gonna, yeah, I, I, yeah. I, can, I can make a everybody wants that out. one. Yeah, yeah. pay my yeah. bills, baby. Yeah. I love you. Yeah. yeah. So I love languages, gifts. Pay my bills. Here's my here's my, here's my Ven, Venmo QR code. Yeah. All right, Paul. I appreciate your time and your patience, and uh, have a have a great weekend. 
You're great, David. Thank you so much. Right. It's been a pleasure to be with you.